Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Hawaii Community Church. We're so glad you're here. Would you stand if you're able? We're going to spend some time worshiping through song this morning. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship Your holy name. The sun comes up, it's a new day dawn. It's time to sing Your song.
such a privilege to sing with you and hear you sing back, and it's so encouraging to remind ourselves this morning that he is a God of all creation, and that he loves us and welcomes us and knows us this morning, and that he's surrounded by praise in heaven, and that we get to join in the anthem of heaven this morning, to say that he's holy. We get to take a moment and reorient our hearts and our lives to say, maybe there's moments that we deviated from saying that you alone are king, so we do that now. We say you alone are king, and you alone are worthy. And you alone are worthy of our praise. And so wake our soul and forget not the benefits of the Lord, that he's slow to anger, that he's abounding in love, that he treats us with all compassion, that he renews us this morning, and that you're new. You may not feel new, but you're new this morning. It has nothing to do with age, and it has everything to do with the God of heaven is doing in us this morning. He's making you new. And so you're new, brothers and sisters, this morning. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. Turn now, greet the community around you. Students, so glad that you were here this morning worshiping with us. Follow Caleb and Ryan. Church. I'm Nicole Pearson and I'm a member of the Board of Trustees here and just so great to see you all and like Dom said listening to everyone worship this morning that was awesome. So, I would like to draw your attention to this connect card in your bulletin. If you are new today visiting us for the first time welcome. We'd love to connect with you by um, just putting your name on here. We'll get you on our email list and keep you up to date of everything happening in the life of the church. And if you are a regular attender here, we'd love for you to fill one of these out also. And if there's anything on your mind, on your heart that you want prayer for, you can include that right on this card as well. And we'll be sure to send that out to our prayer team and our staff so that they can be praying for you. So I'm going to give you a couple of seconds to do that right now. Just grab the pen in the seat back, it, seat back pocket and fill that out for us if you would. Awesome. So a couple of announcements to draw your attention to. Next Sunday, January 27th, we are kicking off our next session of life groups. So if you've never joined a life group, I highly encourage you to check out getting into one. Go see Ian at the table right outside, and he'll help you get connected to a group of eight or ten people who you can kind of just walk through life with over the next eight to ten weeks. It's an awesome way to get connected, have a sense of community here, and I can tell you from personal experience, it's transformational. Helps with accountability, helps with faith, growth, and it's just been an amazing experience for me to connect with a group of women who um, are now amazing friends of mine. So definitely, if you have any questions, see Ian, and he can help you find a day and a time and a group that works for you. And then next, I want to also get on your calendar February 24th. So 
This is your permission to pull out your iPhone and put February 24th on the calendar for Community Serve Day. So we're going to be transitioning our sermon series to connecting with community. And as a board and as a leadership team here, we decided what better way to do that and live out our faith tangibly than to shut down church on Sunday and go out and be the church in the community. And so February 24th, we're not going to be here actually having church service while we will have some community projects happening here. We're also going to be serving with Solana Beach Presbyterian all over the county. And so there are sites that you can choose from. You can be a part of uh, gardening, beach cleanup, serving at Third Avenue Charitable Organization. There's going to be a huge list of like 70 sites that you can choose from. You can take your family, your life group, your next door neighbor, and go out and just be God's hands and feet in the community. And so the website for that will launch next weekend as well. And we're going to help you get all signed up for that, help you choose a site that works for you. And it's for everybody, whether you're 5 or 105, we have a project that we can get you connected to. So if you're a person in this church who is getting your wheels turning, thinking, I'd like to be a site leader, Dom and I will be here at the end of this service, and we're just going to quickly have a five-minute, hey, this is what it takes to be a site leader uh, meeting. But if you have any other questions, you can also just email him, and we'll get you connected to that. So, so excited and looking forward to have everyone in the church participating on February 24th. And now we're going to bring up Kathy to lead us in prayer. Good morning, God. It is with great joy that we gather in your name to worship and bow before you, for you are worthy of all our praise, all honor, and all glory. You are a mighty warrior, a king of kings, eternal and wise God. You are truth. I pray, Father, that you would stir in us a resolve and a passion to regularly read the Bible, study it, and with the help of the Holy Spirit, discuss, understand, and delight in your holy words to us. Father, we confess our need for you, and many of us in this congregation weekly ask that you would draw us into a closer relationship with you. So Father, I ask that you would strengthen our resolve as a congregation to commune with you through meditation, and in that, develop a deeper, more fulfilling relationship with you. Lord, we are so grateful for our children and youth teachers. Thank you for their faithful, loving, and encouraging leadership. May they be blessed to see the fruit of, your, of their labor as our precious children grow in stature and wisdom and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask that you provide protection, Father, for our preteen and teen students and leaders as they go to camp this coming Friday through Sunday. May each participant experience you in a new and fresh way that's very real, very personal, and something that they will carry with them always. And finally, Lord, I pray for our nation. I ask that you would pull back the curtains of deception wherever they may lie. You are in control, Lord. Our trust is in you. Our trust is in you. Our trust is in you. In Jesus' glorious name, amen. amen. Kathy, thank you. 
Well, we're continuing this series on connecting with God here in the first month of the year. And uh, as Nicole said, we'll then transition into connecting with community. But we really can't connect effectively with, the with our community until we connect effectively with God. Uh, and so uh, the first week we talked about effective prayer. Effective prayer basically is learning how to pray beyond those things you, you keep saying and doing about the same old things. Uh, effective prayer is more than just uh, saying the same old things about the same old things. How do you pray effectively? You have to be into God's word so God's word can inform us to shape the way we pray. Uh, then last week we talked about inspiring Bible study. Lots of people own a Bible. Some people know where it is in their house. Um, <coughs> Uh, some people actually read it, but there doesn't seem to be a plan, a coherent way to approach the Bible. And until you get to that more coherent way of approaching the Bible, Bible study doesn't feel inspiring. It, feel, it feels like a bunch of disconnected stories about people you, you don't know anything about, and you get frustrated and quit. Uh, there's many, many dry bones out there in about Leviticus, you know, in the Old Testament, you know, in terms of, I started with good, uh, good intentions in Genesis, and by about Leviticus, I was pretty much out of steam. Uh, <clears throat> inspiring Bible study would cause us to say, okay, I'm going to start in Genesis, and every time I read a new passage, it gets better and better and more interesting. That's actually possible. So today we're talking about a mindful meditation, a mindful meditation, uh, which is really a combination of effective prayer and inspiring Bible study. It's basically what are you paying attention to in God's Word uh, and so that you can pay attention to what God is doing in you. Uh, without mindful meditation, you're just left to mindful medication. You know, uh, you, you find ways to uh, self-medicate because your life just feels adrift. Even if you're very, very busy, which we all are, even if you have important responsibilities, which we all do, uh, unless you're meditating on God's word and paying attention to what he is doing in your life, eventually we just feel like we've got the world on our shoulders. Uh, you, you, some of you who uh, like going to New York, uh, you've, you've walked in front of uh, Rockefeller Center and you see uh, uh, Atlas underneath that giant, massive uh, architectural, you know, sculptural metal globe. The world is on his shoulders and this big, strong guy, very much like what I'm doing right now, um, <laughs> you know, is, is absolutely weighed down by, by the world. If, if you uh, keep walking a couple blocks away to St. Patrick's, Cathedral, what do you see inside St. Patrick's Cathedral? The baby Jesus with the world in his hand. And so this is what we're talking about. Are we aligned with God's purposes so that we understand our purpose? And so this, this is a combination of effective prayer and inspiring Bible study that by meditating on God's word, being mindful of him, uh, we start to pay attention to this marvelous thing that we are a part of, which is the body of Christ. Uh, that's what would motivate us to want to gather today and worship. We're not just a bunch of awesome people uh, showing up together and inviting God to come pay attention to our awesomeness. We're saying there's an awesome God who's calling us together. Uh, it's what motivates us to say, you know what? Uh, we can worship God uh, on, on the 24th of February by uh, taking on some really neat opportunities to bless the community and to, uh, to change it up a little bit. And so that's what we're going to do. So I want to talk about mindful meditation. And so the first big idea of the morning is this. Meditating on God's word is how we set our minds on him. Uh, we don't live out of our heads, but we have to have a mind uh, for Christ. Uh, why? Because uh, we are people who are created to be able to think and to process and to ideate. Uh, if, we, if we just live out of our head, it's a superficial life. 
One of the great, uh, probably one of the great uh, threats uh, and tendencies to a community like the one we live in is everybody is hardworking and smart and has uh, more education than they know what to do with. And it causes us to live out of our heads. To live out of our heads. Uh, I was talking to a, a young family after church and uh, both the mom and the dad are scientists and the young kids and, and, and uh, the wife said, hey, uh, my husband started a new, a new uh, startup a year and a half ago, sidelined of what he does full time anyway. And it's this fascinating scientific thing that is mind boggling. I said, wow, that's a big step. I bet, I bet that keep you awake, keeps you awake at night. She says, no, I have faith. I have faith. I'm well aware of all the problems, of course, all the challenges, but no, because I have faith, uh, I sleep well. See, that's the power of what we're talking about, having a mind for Christ that doesn't allow us to get into a la-la land of avoiding responsibility or facing real problems, but allows us to see those in the larger context of all the world in, in, in Christ's hand, but not feeling like you got the world on your shoulders. So meditating on God's word is how we set our minds on him. What does that look like? Well, we meditate to be renewed and refreshed. We need to be constantly renewed and refreshed. Uh, you can have the, the greatest meal of your life and, and uh, four or five hours later, you're hungry. If you're junior higher, four or five minutes later, you're hungry. Um, uh, and so we, we wanna be renewed and refreshed. We don't apologize for needing to be renewed and refreshed. And so you might have been walking with Jesus for your whole life. You know how desperately you need to be renewed and refreshed. We have kids going to camp all ages and stages going to camp next weekend. Every adult needs to go to camp. Some version of camp to be refreshed and renewed. Worship, regular worship is part of that. Life group is part of that. A silent retreat at a monastery is part of that. A really fun men's retreat, women's retreat, wild at heart experience, whatever, is part of that. We meditate to have communion with God. It's not just being mindful in the secular sense. There's a big massive movement of mindfulness in our culture right now. Uh, part of that is it's filling a void that the church has lapsed on. Biblical meditation is an ancient practice of the people of God. Uh, but because it's fallen by the wayside and been treated as something that's only for mystics, uh, the culture is hungry spiritually. And so what does the culture want to fill that with? Something substantive. But the way mindfulness often translates is to be the most insubstantial thing you can imagine. And so my observations of our culture's view of mindfulness and, and, and mindfulness meditation is a well-intentioned effort to go deep, but it ends up spinning its wheels in superficial things. Not a judgment, hey, good for you trying to go deep. It's just an observation. And you know what? The people of God are in that same superficial spin because we're not meditating deeply on God's word, having communion with him. That is a deepening relationship with him, awareness of him. It's a little bit challenging, isn't it, to have a relationship with somebody that's invisible? So God is not our imaginary friend. He's the Lord of the universe, but we can't see him with our eyes. But by meditating on his word and communing with him, he draws us into a refreshing, renewing relationship. It's like he speaks to us. Uh, have you had God speak to you? Does it move you sometimes to, to tears? Uh, not just sentimental, superficial tears, but te deep tears of awareness of, wow, you were there. I didn't know you were there. I, I, I couldn't really believe you were here. And I'm deeply aware of your abiding presence in this moment. We meditate in order to deeply embrace and embody what we study in God's word. Again, it's not just a head trip. It's not just more and more information that's less and less useful. 
It's about information that becomes useful as we engage in it and appropriate it personally in a deep way. Embodying means it becomes part of who we are. It becomes part of our inner architecture, the way we approach life and think about life. Now again, talking to this young couple, I'm thinking our church is filled with people who are really smart at what they do. I love the fact that they're smart from a biblical perspective. It's not that they look for a Bible verse in everything they do. It's just that the, the Word of God has so imbued them with an awareness of His presence his sovereignty over all things, that they have absolute confidence to, to explore uh, unknown terrain in their field, to appropriate the, the tools of their trade and apply them in ways that are, are ultimately honoring to God and bless people, even as the people perhaps being blessed aren't even aware of it. Powerful, powerful, powerful. We meditate daily, uh, or at least regularly, if, if not every day, uh, throughout the week, we meditate on biblical truth so we can practice and apply uh, biblical truth daily. So you see it's a very practical outcome, a very practical process uh, that leads to a very practical outcome. The benefit of just doing it in itself is a benefit worth doing. And then the benefits that flow from that are um, phenomenal. So here's how you do it. Uh, typically it's, it's, it's good to get comfortable. Uh, you don't want to be distracted by discomfort. So, so uh, you don't get too comfortable. If you say, I love to meditate right when the alarm clock goes off, and I'm good for another 45 minutes of deep, deep meditation. <laughs> it's rapid eye movement meditation in my house, uh, you know. Uh, but, but in the midst of your routine, best of it's first part of the day. Uh, have a cup of coffee, cup of tea. Uh, you can do it at the end of the day, but beginning of the day, usually you, you can handle it a little bit better. You find a comfortable place to sit. Uh, if you want to lie out on your face in the presence of God, whatever physical posture will allow you to concentrate and focus on the Lord. Sometimes it's just sitting in a chair and turning your palms upward. Uh, toward the Lord. Breathing. Uh, we, you know, we breathe naturally. We don't think about it. But if you stay, stop and just take a few breaths, cleansing breaths, uh, is there anything mystical about that? No. It's just a physical way of, of telling yourself, I'm going to be focusing on God. It's a cue, right? It's a cue. Uh, you might not be hungry until you walk in the restaurant or until you walk in the door at home and you go, man, I had no idea I was so hungry until I smelled that smell, right? Um, and then you relax. You say, all right. I'm here in the presence of the one who loves me more than anyone else. The one who loves me more than anybody else and knows me better than anybody else still loves me more than anybody else. And so I'm going to relax in the presence of God. And then you meditate. <clears throat> you concentrate. You focus on a word, a phrase, a verse, a passage, or an entire chapter of scripture, depending on how much time you have. The idea isn't uh, quantity. It's quality. It's quality. It's saying, okay, in, the, in this minute, in this three-minute period, in this five-minute, in this 55-minute, whatever it is, Lord, I want to be present to you. And so what do you do? You invite, you inquire, you imagine, you say, Lord, I invite you. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here, you know. And then we say, Lord, and I'm here on your invitation. I know you've invited me to be still and to know that you are God. You've just quoted scripture to God. You know, be still and know that I am God. Okay, Lord, I'm doing that. I'm being still to know that you are God. My mind is racing of all, with all the things I have to do and uh, uh, are left undone from yesterday. The stuff hanging over my head. I got to catch that plane. I got to do this. How's it going to all get done? Lord, I invite you to calm me and focus me so I can listen to you and inquire of you. Lord, what do you want to show me about me? What do you want to reveal to me through your word? What do you want to tell me about the timing of what I'm wrestling with or the priority of what I'm wrestling with? It becomes very intimate, very personal, very quickly. And then you imagine, not as an imaginary thing, but you imagine, Lord, what would it look like for me to, to exercise um, my faith in practical ways? 
in this situation. And so what you do then is I, I just <clears throat> created a simple exercise for myself this week, and I'm sharing it with you. You can do your version of this uh, every day. I, I chose Proverbs 5 and 6 because it's so uh, familiar. And the compass uh, and the map reminds me this is what I want to do. I want to chart my life with God. And we talked last week about magnetic north versus true north. Uh, magnetic north uh, is where the needle on your compass goes, but true north is just a few degrees off. And we want to make our bearing true north. So we have to adjust from magnetic uh, to true. We do that on land when you're backpacking. If you're using a topographical map and a compass, you've got to get those things aligned properly. You're either going to add or subtract some degrees uh, that would uh, help you to align the map, uh, which is true north, to your compass, which is magnetic north. Likewise, you use a boat, uh, on, a, on a boat, you use a chart, all the same thing. It only takes, if, you, if you're leaving from LA and you're trying to go to Hawaii on a sailboat, it's 2,400 miles. If you're just one degree off, uh, you'll never even see Hawaii. Uh, it's nice to go to Fiji, you know, if you mean to go to Fiji. If you have enough food and water to go to Fiji, uh, but if you're thinking you're going to go to Hawaii, you want to be really clear about that alignment, that mag magnetic north to true north. So this is what um, we want to do in, in, in meditation. We're simply saying, Lord, I want to align with you. It's rooted in God's word, so there's some objectivity there, but it's highly subjective because it's about you and about the, the, the world that you're inhabiting. And so <clears throat> I started with the first word, trust. Trust. The, the rest of it is trust in the Lord with all your heart. But I started with trust. Lord, uh, uh, I invite you to speak to me about where I am when it comes to trusting. Anybody, anything. Am I trustworthy? So I just let my mind explore that with the Lord. Then I added the rest of the verse, trust in the Lord. Lord, am I trusting in you? Do I think I'm trusting you or I actually, am I actually trusting you? I won't go through everything I went through. But it was just building on this, this dialogue. Uh, with God and then sitting there and listening and when voices came in, you know, if a critical, you know, we all have a critical audience voice. Uh, what are you doing? You can't do that. It's not going to work. You don't deserve that. You know, you don't have what it takes. Whatever the critical voices. We all have some critical audience. It could be from a family of origin issue. It could be from just our fallenness as human beings, being insecure about our status in life. Do I really know what I'm doing? But then also it lets me say, look, all these other things I, I don't want to listen to. And then it also it allows me to say, are there other spiritual influences that want to break into my time with God? I want to be able to push them away in the name of Jesus. And so really I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on, on these phrases. And so uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lord, am I trusting you with my heart or am I living out of my head and really not trusting you in critical ways? I, I just kept going through this. And, and what does it mean for me not to rely on my own understanding? Certainly, God wants to use my brain, my knowledge, my education, uh, experience of life, and, and, and all that. But is that enough? No, it's not enough. It needs to be present, but it's not enough. And I can't really rely on other people's understanding. Uh, I don't know uh, how many of you get your legal advice and uh, medical advice from your hairdresser. I would say stick with a haircut. Uh, leave the rest to the people who actually know what they're talking about. Um, otherwise, we lean on everybody's understanding but the Lord's. Uh, I, I said, okay, Lord, how am I acknowledging you uh, always in everything I do? This is not to make everything religious or superstitious. It's to say, how can I acknowledge God's presence in this situation? And, and, and see that some of the stuff I get wrapped around the axle on is ridiculous. 
there's probably going to be another parking spot, I don't know, two, three miles away. Um, so, you know, uh, whatever the trivial things are that cause us to put him out of mind and focus on other things, those things are in and of themselves necessary and important perhaps, but, but, but really I want to see my life as a gift and a walk with God through life. All of a sudden it changes everything the way I look at people and situations and my responses to them. So you see the power of this. The end of it is a promise. He'll guide your paths. So in that brief passage, maybe I only had time to think about trust in the Lord, and that's all I had time for. That's enough. But you see what this is. I'm paying attention. I'm giving God a chance to speak to me. Now, if, if sometimes the voice seems to be saying, uh, leave immediately, get on a sailboat, and leave, just go, I would say, that can't probably be the Lord. <laughs> I'm hoping it is. I'm going to ask another, Lord, is that you? Because I hope it's you. But no, you know, so I sort out and I have discernment. This is the point of meditation. We become wise and discerning. I mean, this is a crazy example. If you're dealing with some horrific temptation in your life, and so you do this exercise, you say, Lord, okay, take that passage. You say, Lord, trust you with all my heart. I'm really thinking of having an affair. Lord, what do you think? Is that okay? I mean, sometimes when people come to me and say, I'm thinking about getting a divorce, what do you think? I say, I would inquire of the Lord on that. What do you mean? Well, I would ask the Lord if, if, if he wants you to get a divorce. Well, you know he'll say. <laughs> what? How do I know what he's going to say? Well, you know. Well, no. Well, well, well he's going to say I should get a divorce. Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe he's going to say you should get a counselor. You know, of course he's not going to say you should get a divorce if, if that's the first thing on your mind. But maybe if you've been wrestling for 10 years with a husband who's absolutely abusive and your children are in danger and you're fearing for your life and you're saying, I want to be a loving Christian wife and so I'm going to hang in with this man, maybe the Lord's going to say, you need to get out of that situation immediately. So this is a little sidebar on divorce. Divorce is never God's will. Sometimes divorce is absolutely in, in, inevitable and necessary. Inevitable when somebody leaves you and files for divorce in the state of California. They give you a six-month speed bump and then it's done. Uh, sometimes for, for sheer survival or to stop a crazy dysfunctional downward spiral, you have to say, let's stop. Let's call a timeout on this. And so you see what I'm saying? The wisdom of God is absolutely out of our reach until we put ourselves in his reach. We start inquiring of the Lord. And imagine what would, be, what would it look like for me to trust you and be wise in you, Lord? And sometimes those things are absolutely conventional. Sometimes they're unconventional. Sometimes they're absolutely intuitive. Sometimes they're counterintuitive. You know what I'm talking about. You've experienced this. This is why prayer is powerful and not perfunctory. Well, you know what God will say. You know, I have a hunch. I just don't know how he'll say it to you. This is the power of biblical meditation. And so meditation facilitates mindfulness by filling our minds <laughs> with good stuff. The will of God, the word of God. It's not to make us mindless. I'm on... I, I'm like the jungle cruise at Disneyland. I know it's on a track. I can pretend I'm in the jungle, but it's all fake. It's actually being mindfully of presence to God to say, I don't know where he's going to lead me. He's, he's dependable, but he is unpredictable. When you know you've been wrong and you have a right for revenge, and he says, no, you're to forgive and love. That's unpredictable. But it's dependable. He's giving you wise counsel. And so what we want to do by being mindful is to increase our capacity to internalize. That means to own, to own, and then to process, and then to apply God's word in practical ways. 
is I keep saying the word of God always has a social impact. It always has a social impact. It's not an imaginary world that we retreat into. It's a world of, of concentrating on God that takes us into the larger world that has practical implications. So meditation is probably the most practical thing you can do to own your life. If you do not own your life and take responsibility for your life, somebody else is or will. You want people to influence you, not to control you. You want the Lord to both influence you and give you a sense of self-control because of his abiding presence. Because even God will not control you in the sense of letting you be passive. He wants you to make informed decisions that have inherent risks. But he says, I am with you always. I will never leave you or forsake you, but I'll never treat you like a dependent baby. I'll treat you like a beloved son or daughter, which means you're going to have to grow up in your, in your capacity to make informed decisions based on my word, my will, and, and uh, in, in, in ways that would not only bless you, but bless other people. Are you with me so far? Yeah. So this is the, the lost art, the hidden practice of the people of God in the United States. We are so can-do, action-oriented, we think meditating on God's word is a big waste of time. Until we're so spiritually empty, one of our non-Christian friends will say, hey, I go to a mindfulness class, why don't you come with me? And you go, wow, okay. So, uh, now it's time to talk about cows. This is the agricultural part of the sermon. I'd like to direct your attention uh, to this beautiful looking Holstein cow. Uh, I thought it was just a black and white cow, uh, but Bob Penner informed me this is a Holstein cow. Uh, not a half-steen cow, it's a Holstein cow. The complete article. And so we meditate on God's word by taking small bites, right? That's what cows do. Small bites to methodically digest it, and when digested, it makes us healthy and productive. Cows, uh, to give you another very impressive technical term, are ruminatives. You knew that, but I'm just reminding you. <laughs> They're ruminatives. That is, they have, they have four stomachs that help them process what they eat. So they eat an amazing amount of food. They have to eat like six hours a day. They're about like a junior high person. And, and they, they take that food and they put it in one of their stomachs and then they, little by little, they pull it out and they process it. It eventually goes through four stomachs to give them the nourishment they need. Uh, and so that's what biblical meditation really is about, taking small amounts of God's word. I mean, we take in as much as we can through worship and study, etc. But then in small doses, small amounts, we're processing it to get the most nutrition out of it. We are ruminatives as well. Even though we only have one stomach, we are emotional ruminatives. We fill our head and our heart with all kinds of stuff, a lot of noise, a lot of chaos, a lot of data, with no context, uh, mixes, mix it up with all kinds of the feelings of, of insecurity or uncertainty that you might have, and all of a sudden, uh, what do you do with it? Uh, you process it, process it, process it, because, but they're empty calories and eventually it kills you because you die of starvation. We need to be ruminatives emotionally and spiritually on the word of God so that all those other things that we're taking in find their proper place and uh, we can deal with them. So here's what it looks like when we neglect feeding on God's word. We end up feeding on things that starve us. What are these things? They could be just normal things that everybody has to deal with, but because they're, they're, there's nothing to go with them, they end up being the empty calories that we fill ourselves with, we're overwhelmed with, and they cause us to die. Worries, finances, problems, hurt feelings, loneliness, resentment, anger, jealousy, relationships, fears, pain, bitterness, unmet expectations. These are just the hors d'oeuvres. And then there's more on the buffet line that we constantly feed on. 
And uh, what, is the, what is the mitigating content that we take in? What's the, the content that really surpasses these empty calories and gives us true nourishment that we can make informed decisions? Again, it's the Word of God. It's worth the time you take to focus on the Word of God. I'm guaranteeing you, you will, fill, you will meditate on things every day, every week, every month, every year, year in and year out. We are ruminative meditators, but we do it in a way that it kills us until we start feeding on the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And so James says, don't, be, don't merely listen to the Word, so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the Word but doesn't do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. There's no focus. There's no focus. Well, that's what I look like. By the way, when I look in the mirror, I know I don't look like this. I look like the 25-year-old uh, you know, that I know I look like. Um, and this is part of the problem for us, is we have this false image of who we are, and we don't look at God's word long enough to say, where does this give me an accurate reflection of who I am or where I am? All right, so the rest of James says this, but whoever looks intently, that is meditatively, purposefully, intentionally, into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. They will be blessed in what they do. Wow. This is why I think it's awesome that we give kids experiences in doing practical things because we take the esoteric, abstracted education that we often give them and we say, this is how you use a compass. This is how you read a map. Uh, how tall is that tree? Well, we can figure it out from the shadow maybe. We can figure it out by, and all of a sudden you start doing, you know, practical application of all the things that we teach kids, and all of a sudden kids then become even more hungry to learn. We needed to do that with our faith. Somehow we have socialized followers of Jesus uh, into this idea that it doesn't take any time or effort, and it's all irrelevant, non-applicable content. We've robbed people of the idea that it's absolutely essential and practical. Our life depends on us getting this right, and it's not easy and not, not hard to get it right. It's easy, though, to get it wrong when you don't pay any attention to it. If you're not reading the Word, where's the content? So, the only difference between thinking and doing is doing. And we are big on Bible study here, but bigger on Bible doing. What does it look like to do the things that Jesus did and for the reasons Jesus did? So, Colossians. Paul writes to the people in Colossae, uh, ancient, ancient Turkey. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your, things on, set your heart on things above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. He's not saying, uh, don't pay attention to this world. It's an illusion and it doesn't matter. He's saying, um, if you want to understand this world and live fully in it, be fully grounded in the life you're actually living, you've got to look to God. You've got to start with him and his kingdom. Set your mind on that. Set your heart on that. And all of a sudden, the world is going to make a lot more sense to you. Your mission will become clear. Your sense of enjoying the world and, 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 and experiencing the world, sometimes comfort, com, uh, comforting and confronting the world, will become much more clear. Why? Because we have a new identity. We've died and our life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then also you also will appear with him in glory. We have a present life, but we also have a future life that's even a more fully developed version of what we're currently experiencing. And we're in process right now. So that's why it's about making progress now, perfection later. 
The goal isn't to be perfect right now. It's to simply pay attention right now in this process of God's transformation in us so that we're making progress in his ways almost unconsciously because it's just a natural byproduct. Think of every little kid gets sick of me hearing him say, my gosh, you've gotten so tall. Because I don't see very often, right? And so when I see kids that I've known since their birth and I see them, they're taller, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, you're getting so big. I see it. I see the progress. They don't so much and they get tired of every adult they know um, saying, you're so big, you know, you're so tall. But we just can't help but marvel at, wow, you're making progress. Okay, so this old you, new you issue is this. Whose version of you are you listening to? What vision of you are you meditating on? Uh, a dear friend of mine, uh, I, was, I talked about this guy the other day uh, with some friends. The guy, the guy was this, he, he is this phenomenally accomplished guy. Uh, he, he's this, he, you know, in terms of physical attributes, he's, he's tall, handsome, go for it guy, smart, caring, good, great. He's just a full model human being. But at one point we were talking and he said, you know, I, I, the way people see me is not how I see me. I said, what do you mean? He said, I see myself as a little fat kid. The little fat kid that could never measure up to my big athletic father's expectations. And so everybody sees me as this, you know, uh, looks like a Hollywood handsome guy who always seems to be doing the right thing for the right reasons. And it's true, that, that's me, but I don't see me like that. So he, see, he has, he's living on, a, on, a, on, a, on an incorrect version of who he is. He's got an incorrect vision uh, for who he is. And until that changes, all those other attributes are, in a sense, compromised. That's how all of us are. So here's why this matters. If meditating on God's word is how we set our mind on Christ, it's not just that we're living out of our heads. Our whole life has to be built on him. So that's the second big idea. Applying God's word is how we live our whole life in Christ. Not by being little Bible termites, knowing every answer to every question. Uh, one time, a guy who was a very well-known theologian, and really a twit, honestly. You know, he was, that's, a, that's a theological word, by the way. This guy was a twit. And, and he, he comes up to me at this party, and he goes, hey, well, so, uh, Mr. Know-it-all pastor. And I'm like, I didn't say I was a know-it-all pastor. Uh, but, you know, he's kind of got that attitude and, and little edge. And, and uh, he said, so, what were Moses' parents' names? Now, can you imagine how quickly profanity could come to your mouth at that point? <laughs> Who gives any concern for that? <laughs> uh, I said, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's even mentioned in the Bible. And if it is, it's really not that important, is it? And he goes, well, no, it's super important. I said, it's not important. I said, and there were about three or four other pastors in this big, giant social setting at the Newport Beach. And, and uh, I said, you can ask any of these pastors here. That guy's the chairman of the board of Christianity Today, Gordon Conwell Seminary, Christian, um, World Vision. You can ask this person, this person. None of them will know that. And he had this smirk on his face like, yeah, I know. I said, let's just walk around and ask them all. I said, hey, do you know what the, you know, Moses' parents? One guy goes, yeah, Mr. and Mrs. Moses. <laughs> Another guy goes, mom and dad. You know, you know. So now we're all laughing about it. This guy's getting frustrated because we don't think it's really important. Uh, my point is that, is that we have to then say, we're not just trying to get esoteric information that's interesting to nobody but you, you know, playing, can you top this? Gotcha. It's about saying, there's the word of God that is given to me to inform my life. Nobody in that room was alive in Christ because they knew Moses' parents' name. By the way, which is, 
Amram and Jochebed. Okay? And note that. And then forget it. <laughs> but they were all alive in Christ people. Various walks of life, trying to make a difference in Newport Beach for Jesus. So that's the thing. We're applying God's word in, in the whole of our life. How we deal with grief, how we deal with loss, how we deal with betrayal, how we deal with, with success, how we deal with failure. How we deal with big responsibility that lots of people are depending on you, etc. So uh, Psalm 1 and 2, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord who, and who meditates on his law day and night. So we would see the whole counsel of God, not just the law of the Torah, but all of God's word. That's why when you read God's word this year, if you're working through reading the Bible this year, it all matters, it all counts. Not every verse is exactly the same way, but collectively together, it's powerfully important. You do not remember every meal you've ever eaten. But look, you're sitting here, you've benefited from the nutrition and nourishment you've received. Some meals stand out as well, I remember that meal, that awesome restaurant, that awesome occasion, uh, etc. But as we learn to walk with him and meditate in a regular part of our life, you know, day in and day out, all we're doing is we're being intentional and, and observant we're paying attention to what God is doing in us and through us. That is what it means to take charge of your life and to be responsible for you. It's to live consciously. It's easier for most of us to live unconsciously. Constantly reacting like a pinball to forces outside of us. Rather than saying, all right, there's forces all around me that are influencing me. But what decisions am I making? in the midst of my life circumstances. And where do I get the power and the wisdom to make those decisions and to have the same power? So meditating on God's word is actively engaging in a journey with Jesus. Meditating on God's word is how we recognize his voice and trust in him. Meditating on God's word is how we learn to walk in his ways. Meditating on God's word is how we find our voice in giving a reason for the hope within us. You have a unique voice that we have to hear. We need to hear your voice we need to hear the Lord speaking through you to us. If you are not doing this, you're withholding what we need. We need you to go through that horrible thing you're going through right now and learn as you walk through that with the Lord so that you can come back and tell us, wow, this is what I learned going through that horrible thing. You see the power of that? What you do by way of meditation is going to bless the body of Christ. We depend on you to do this. There's people who you haven't met yet or who are going to depend on you getting it right as you go through the valley of the shadow that you're going through. God is setting a feast for you even in the midst of that. Don't walk past it in a bulimic, anorexic haze uh, because you're ruminating on all the wrong things. Finally, see, meditating on God's word conforms our soul to God. We're being developed into our true humanity. So the final point is this. We prevail in Jesus Christ by God's spirit working in us according to his word, and meditation connects us to that. Makes us mindfully aware that that is where the power comes from. It's not my good intentions. It's not maintaining certain traditions. It's not living up to everybody's expectations. It's not offloading all my responsibility onto other people. It's, it's I'm prevailing in Christ because God's spirit is working in me according to his word that I can not only be blessed, but be a blessing. And so here's some passages that, that underline that. Uh, John writes, the ad, quoting Jesus, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. That's what happens in meditation. 
the very words of God, the purposes of God, find their way into our, our, our being. Uh, Paul right into the Colossians again. He says, For God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We have a new identity, a new basis for how we pursue our life. And if somebody points a finger and says, Well, you've done this and you did that, you go, Yeah, um, I, I own that. But I'm a new creation in Christ, thank God. Uh, again, John writing, his first letter, he says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. Ultimately, what we're going to look like, I don't know. It's going to be pretty special, though. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I never get tired of quoting C.S. Lewis on this. He said, you know, if we could have a glimpse of what we're going to look like, fully completed in Christ, we would be tempted to fall down and worship that version of our future selves. And if that future self could speak to our present self, they'd say, get up, get up. I'm, I'm, I'm just a me. It's just you. Worship the Lord. This is what you, you're looking like. This is the process you're in. Finally, uh, Paul writes to the people at Ephesus. Uh, again, this, uh, a major city in ancient Turkey. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he, the Lord, may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You see this living, living presence? These aren't feeble ideas I cling to tenaciously or tentatively. This is what God is doing that I get to be a part of. And so he says, I pray that you, being rooted, unshakable, established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This is your birthright in Christ. This is your legacy bequeathed to you by Jesus. This is the normative standard way of living into, benefiting from, growing up in everything God has made available to us in Christ. Uh, don't let anything or anyone get in the way of that. Be creative how you get this time. Uh, you have to maybe fight for it, work for it, get up a little earlier, stay up a little later, change some of your, you know, change, uh, shake up some of your patterns and routines. But this is what's going to give you staying power. This is what's going to give you sustaining power. This is what's going to allow you to be scalable in your life. To not just get older and older, but to get wiser and wiser. More aware and more profoundly in touch with the love of Christ that you would become a river to your friends. In a thirsty and parched land, you would become a river uh, to your friends. So Lord Jesus, that's my prayer for me, for my brothers and sisters here, for this church, for every church in this community and around the country and the world, that we would be your people, fully alive, functionally able to discern your will and to enjoy our relationship with you in ways that not only would bless us, but would be a blessing to the world. We pray for a great social impact coming out of your work among your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Steve. This brings us to a time of tithes and offerings as the ushers come forward. If you have those Connect cards out of your um, bulletin, you can go ahead and take those out and put those in the offering baskets. If you have questions about life groups, my tag says you can come see me and ask me about those. If you're a first-time visitor, you can take that connection card and come see me, and we have a gift for you at the table right outside. But uh, this is the time where those who call LJCC their home, we give back out of the blessings I re they receive. 
Um, I was at a wedding yesterday, and this couple, one of the blessings and offerings that was put over them was that they would become a blessing to those around them, that they had found this love, they had found this relationship, that it began to transform them. But they wouldn't just keep it to themselves. They would give it out to all those around them. And that's just so true of us. We receive all this stuff from Christ. This is our opportunity. It's not an obligation. It's our opportunity to partner with what he's doing here in this community for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's continue our time of worship with giving and song.
Jesus Christ your living hope. If you've opened your heart and your mind to him, if you've invited him into your life, he is your living hope. If you've never done that, do that right now. Say, Lord, come into my life. I want you to be my living hope. With all your questions, all your doubts, start that relationship with him. He has you in his grip. That's what counts most. Not that you have him in your grip, but he has you in his grip. Respond to his embrace as his beloved son or daughter by faith. This is your legacy and your birthright. Meditate on these things and you will live in him. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance. That means he's watching us and looking at us as a loving father looks at a child, giving us everything we need to walk in newness and fullness of life with him both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.